Welcome to episode 127 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is UX designer, strategist, author, and consultant, Uday Gajandar. Uday, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. So for our topic this week on the podcast, uh, we're going to chat with Uday a little bit about uh, the uh, wicked craft of designing for enterprise user experience. Uday, could you give us sort of a high-level overview of how you see the current state of enterprise software when it comes to uh, user experience, when it comes to uh, seeing the way enterprise software uh, is in comparison to to perhaps uh, other software that we're familiar with? Yeah, sure. It's a great question. Um, and when you think about enterprise software, that's really such a broad swath, right? It's a huge and wide territory. Um, it encompasses lots of different verticals. You're talking about financials, manufacturing, IT administration, healthcare, and so forth. I think on the whole, there's definitely significant progress that's underway uh, in comparison to expectations around consumer software. Um, and a big part of that is, quite honestly and frankly, thanks to the iPhone um, and other modern kind of conventions and, and interface um, uh, innovations that have come about, the Nest, um, Web 2.0, Web 3.0, whatever you want to call it, um, they have created certain expectations. Um, and I think to a large degree, they're starting to become translated into effective um, much more promising interfaces and experiences when it comes to enterprise. There are a couple uh, in particular that make me feel very optimistic, very hopeful. Um, you know, I think about Salesforce and what they've done recently with the Lightning system, uh, which is a comprehensive visual and interaction uh, design system and library. GE, which has been tackling the whole machines that think and the intelligent um, nature of those machines transferring data and information. They have this new thing called Predix. Um, so I know they've been working very hard on that the last few years. Again, creating interaction and visual models that really map to expectations around using the phone, using a tablet, um, and using other kinds of devices that are not your typical kind of web-based interaction. And there are others as well. Slack is totally blowing things up um, from a, an interaction model perspective and creating that compelling, delightful experience around, you know, collaboration. Um, so there are definitely pockets and definitely exemplars out there. And that gives me a lot of hope and optimism. So the progress is good, um, but there's still tremendous work to be done. Um, and, you know, when you look at not just the heroes and exemplars out there, but also, you know, you think about, and this is coming from the recent conference, uh, the Enterprise UX conference we held in San Antonio uh, back in May of this year. I'm one of the co-organizers. You know, we had folks there who work at companies like some insurance company in, you know, I don't know, Nebraska or Kansas or somebody from, you know, Florida, um, you know, Fort Lauderdale. They're working on some kind of interesting, you know, IT app. And yet they don't have the resources uh, that may be available in Silicon Valley and those kinds of venues. Um, and so they're fighting the good fight, right? Um, there's still tremendous um, challenges to be uh, to be taken when it comes to figuring out workflows, understanding the overall experience model, and really defining the customer journey in such a way that folks from sales, manufacturing, marketing, um, 
and, and so forth can be participatory and really feel like they're owners of that compelling, amazing experience for their end users. So, you know, the progress is good. I feel very optimistic, but we still have a long, hard road ahead. Um, but it's great to see so many people willing to be a part of that. Yeah, it 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 definitely has turned uh, turned a corner in uh, in in recent years. So so you know we all have a chance now of having enterprise software that uh, that doesn't suck. Um, yeah. yeah. So so. <laughs> Why don't you give us and and you know the listeners an idea of of some of the scale and complexity of enterprise UX problems because the workflows and sort of the both in you know the number and complexity of workflows and the number of use cases are just so different from consumer software in you know in a lot of ways and and they're all sort of business critical so you have to yep. account for them all um, right. so 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 give us an idea of what that what that world looks like yeah um, and John I think you hit upon it exactly right they are business critical um, and I think that's what differentiates enterprise software um, from consumer. Um, these are, you know, applications, tools, and services that must be used for eight, nine, maybe 10 hours a day, uh, for somebody to get their job done, um, in some capacity, right? Whether it's healthcare or an IT admin or somebody in sales, marketing, whatever it is. Um, and because of that, there's also an interesting setup in terms of, you know, it's not just a piece of software you can go to Best Buy, right, and just purchase it, right? Um, there's an entire sales process and a variety of stakeholders. So at the end of the day, it's not just, you know, the users, there's also the buyers and the choosers. Um, so there's a whole kind of array of individuals who have their own, frankly, agendas, right, um, and competing perspectives uh, and priorities, um, around making decisions as to which software to purchase um, and what features should be um, a part of that. And also configuration. That's a, another big aspect. Um, the configuration aspect um, is really critical. You know, uh, if, you know, I used to work at Citrix, um, places, you know, Oracle, Citrix, Cisco, variety of companies. And every single time, you know, it wasn't just, okay, we're creating this piece of software for this user. You know, it's really more about we've got a customer. That customer is a big bank in Midwest, based in Chicago. They have very specific requirements, um, and they want to do a custom configuration, right? There's always that kind of thing happening, um, which creates its own kind of ecosystem of value in terms of system integrators and, and so on and so forth. Um, so when it comes to complexity um, and, and the scale, you're really talking about an entire ecosystem and really is a territorial thing. Yeah, they're workflows, right? And they're workflows that are part of the daily work and practice of, of these, these individuals, knowledge workers and so forth. But there's also the whole landscape of how do you drive a sales process whereby the requirements at the user level are being, uh, being uh, kind of captured and advocated for, um, in addition to the competing priorities and agendas of various other folks that are being um, you know, sought after and, and being talked to. Um, and you got to figure out the configuration systems. You got to figure out, okay, what is their environment and will their environment support what we can provide for them? Um, when uh, when I was at Citrix, we had this um, 
of course, we were uh, driving a, a revolution around design thinking um, company-wide and culturally uh, across the org. Um, one of the things that um, uh, one of the design leaders uh, put together this presentation, she had this really nice uh, kind of side-by-side photo uh, comparison of what we currently offer as an enterprise company versus what people really want. So on one side, it was basically an array of mechanical parts of a car. Right. So you've got the muffler, you've got all these gaskets and widgets and nuts and bolts, and they're all laid out um, because the idea is it's about configuration. But in the other photo next to it is the actual BMW or Ferrari or whatever it is um, that somebody really wants to buy because that's what satisfies a goal. You know, somebody wants high performance, acceleration, something that's beautiful and makes them feel excited to actually want to own it and drive it. Um, so they're, they're competing perspectives, right? Um, a lot of enterprise uh, companies and firms are set up around the first image, around configuration and, com- and the parts and components. What we need to move towards is the second image, which is people want to buy the BMW because mm-hmm. there's a goal of acceleration. And there's an emotional component as well. Um, so, sorry, I'm kind of drifting off the point here. <laughs> no, but, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like but that. Yeah, it's, it's like, how do you reconcile the complexity, which is not just part of the uh, the product or the service, but it's around all these other factors that influence why enterprise software is so difficult and, you know, uh, frustrating to use. So you've you've been involved in in the creation of a lot of enterprise software and i think i think you touched a little bit on how you were using design thinking at uh at citrix so so how is user experience changing the way the enterprise works i i think you were getting into that a little bit but i want to explore that yeah. more yeah definitely definitely um yeah it's citrix you know just to give some background for uh, for listeners um, I was part of this uh, initiative uh, that started in fall of 2009 uh, to really bring design thinking as a concept into reality for the organization, um, and that means the entire company, which at the time was about 7,000, 8,000, I think it's now 10,000 worldwide, um, with direct support from the CEO who recognized that design thinking um, should become a strategic top-tier competency for the company um, in terms of competitive advantage. So it's fantastic, we got that, um, that CEO backing. Um, so that allowed us to really set up um, uh, the, kind of the groundwork for doing things like modifying the space. So we started to create these studio spaces where we had whiteboards, we had uh, writable tables, uh, which are fantastic, um, movable furniture, everything's on wheels. Um, sticky notes everywhere. And, you know, so that's one of the things we were trying to do. We were also trying to allow people to have the permission to do whatever you want to apply creative thinking, to solve, well, first to understand the problem and then to solve uh, solve that problem uh, accordingly. Um, so giving pe- people permission to try things out and permission to fail. And if it fails, that's okay, right? We, we want to recognize that. We want to celebrate it a little bit. And allow people to kind of go through that creative process. Um, so that comes back to tools and methods, um, and then thinking about strategies. Okay, it's not just enough to say, okay, we're going to acquire this company uh, for X amount of dollars, and then we're just going to like absorb, you know, their 150 features into an existing product line. 
Um, we really need to do a much deeper analysis, much more thoughtful reflection around what are the use cases? What are the customer journeys? How do we map that out? Uh, what are the stakeholder um, uh, assessments and so forth? Um, so really providing a toolkit um, to bring that level of thought and diligence into something that would have been normally just kind of a, you know, a mainstream typical action, like, oh, we're just going to acquire a company and <laughs> collapse all the functionality into each other. Um, so there are various ways that we were trying to have uh, impacts um, tactically, strategically, um, in terms of how enterprise software was being built um, and really, um, um, I guess, kind of created and so forth. That's at Citrix. You know, there are other companies doing other things as well. I mentioned GE, Salesforce, um, and so forth. So, you know, I, I think it all comes back to how do you come up with a way to, you know, influence uh, kind of the hearts and minds, attitudes, um, mindsets, but also provide the tools so they feel like they're making practical action um, that's very apparent um, and visible so that they can share it with other people and really generate traction, get uh, participants working together. Um, I'll never forget just one final anecdote um, when it comes to you know changing the way enterprise works. When we set up that initial kind of studio space um, with the whiteboards and sticky notes and so forth, and by the way, it had glass walls, so fully transparent. The idea was to allow people to walk by, see what's happening, and get inspired. So one of the general managers who was about to um, uh, kick off their uh, what they call QBR, quarterly business review, mm -hmm. uh, he, he decided to do it inside the studio. Uh, normally, it's done in some boardroom with PowerPoints, and everybody falls asleep, <laughs> right? Death by PowerPoint. Instead, he thought, you know what? We've got the studio, and he had just been through a design thinking boot, uh, boot camp workshop we had done the previous uh, week. Why don't we just do it in the studio and give everyone sticky notes and allow people to talk about what were their successes and failures for this past quarter and then how we can move forward for the next quarter? Uh, and it turned out to be a fantastic exercise. Um, so just those kinds of actions, you know, I think that's um, proof positive that, you know, there are ways to help improve the way enterprise works. Yeah, that's 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 a great anecdote. I, li I like that, um, you know, seeing seeing some uh, design thinking in action. So let's talk a little bit about enterprise users there. You know, user types, uh, as you well know, sort of uh, uh, very different um, yep. Yep. Uh, from from your consumer user types. And in fact, you can even end up with, uh, you know, a user type where there's only like very few of them. Right. But sure. they're, you know, yeah. critical to the system. So if you're a designer tackling an enterprise uh, software problem, how how do you get to know some of these uh, user groups? What are, what are some things that designers can do to better understand uh, this this uh, sort of wide variety and, and very specific user types that make up the enterprise user? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Uh, let me go back to when I left Citrix um, and decided to join a startup, Cloud Physics, uh, which is a big data analytics startup focused on um, analyzing virtual infrastructure and server hardware and so forth. Um, so I joined as director of UX, um, the first official hire there. And um, of course, that means I was a, a team of one, pretty much uh, charged to do with everything. Uh, when when I joined, they asked me about you know hiring and, and you know if there was budget, you know what kind of hires do you want to make. And I said the the 
first person I need to hire is a researcher. And they were a little bit surprised by that. You know, I think they expected me to say, well, we need a visual designer, you know, someone to crank out the assets or whatever. Um, and no, it's, it's because I need, I need research to help me understand what am I designing and who is this really for mm-hmm. and how is this going to help uh, that end user be effective in terms of their day-to-day jobs. Um, it all comes back to a statement I had made um, recently at a, at a conference. I, at least for me personally, I cannot design without research. And for me, that requires talking to these folks. I got to talk to these people. You know, Skype's okay, you know, but I, I think it's even better to be on site and actually go visit them um, and see them in their daily natural habitat. There's something to be said for how people work in an environment that may be not well lit. Maybe there's a lot of um, background noise. Um, you know, if they're working with servers and so forth, it's a cold, noisy server room. Um, they may not hear the phone alerts, right, if you're creating a mobile app. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about those kind of environmental conditions um, and also for the fact that, um, you know, these folks do not work in isolation, um, whether it's healthcare or financials or IT admin, they're working with other people. And so you want to understand what's that social flow of information um, if, you know, Sally gets a message and then talks to Bob and then Bob calls up Alan, who then, you know, sends an email to Frank, you know, what's that flow like and how are they doing that in real time, um, you, you know, using certain tools or devices on hand. It's so fascinating to see that up close and in person. And that gives you a sense of, yes, empathy, <laughs> uh, but also an appreciation for uh, the difficulties and opportunities uh, within that context, which may not be as apparent from just a phone call. Um, but either way, you got to do research, you got to get out there, you got to observe, you got to listen, you got to absorb and understand, um, and then come back and synthesize. Um, and that's, uh, that's the best way to do it. I also want to add one more thing really quick, um, and that is uh, a little exercise I tried at Cloud Physics, because it's all about dashboards and analytics and so forth. I wanted to understand, okay, what is the current world of at least these IT admins? Um, What are they dealing with in terms of interfaces? And so I conducted what I called a visual empathy exercise, which is a fancy way to say, I just went out and, you know, I talked to these folks, you know, our our PMs and sales uh, uh, directors, they pointed me to certain people that I could talk to and just grabbed screenshots of the current existing tools that they're using. Yep. So I grabbed all these screenshots and I put it all on this huge poster, like, <laughs> illustrated. It was like six feet wide or something, right? And and, and I printed it out. It cost like a hundred bucks to print it out because I wanted high res and put it on the wall at Cloud Physics. And I wanted to make sure that our product managers, our engineers, our salespeople, and our CEO, our founders, understood this is literally the world the visual interface world that our users are inhabiting right now, right? Um, because I want them to understand, here are the problems and challenges and difficulties, right? Um, and get a sense, okay, this is the world they're in right now. We need to get them out of this world into a new world that cloud physics can provide. Um, so that that was really fascinating as an exercise, and I, I'd encourage folks to do that. Um, I think it'll raise lots of questions, um, which are useful. Um, and maybe lead you down a very useful uh, direction. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. And uh, I, I bet you, you know, uh, Halloween is coming up. I bet you that poster would have been a good horror movie poster uh, <laughs> oh. for, for the UI folks. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so so my, uh, my last question for you uh, this afternoon, Uday, is uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the term wicked craft and, and what it has to do with uh, enterprise user experience? Sure. Um, so wicked craft is my shorthand way of suggesting that there is valuable um, use and applicability of what we traditionally think of as craft within the enterprise space. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, when we think about craft, there's a sense of uh, understanding that, okay, it's about something that's very um, well made with intention, deliberation, um, and a sense of of, of care um, and focus and beauty um, qualities that we typically ascribe to something that may be more on the consumer side of things. Uh, you think about Apple, Tesla, Dyson, um, the Shinola watches coming out of Detroit. I love them; they're beautiful and fantastic. Um, and yet, there doesn't seem to be a place for craft on the surface in enterprise software. Why is that? Well, with enterprise, there's a lot of wickedness, right? The complexity and ambiguity that we just talked about for the past 15 minutes or so. Um, and yet there must be a way to somehow insert craft into that uh, perplexing puzzle. Um, what I suggest is that craft, not as the beautiful final refined object, but craft as a way of making your way of creating temporary transient throwaway artifacts and so forth can actually be a very effective a method of resolving the complexity and ambiguity and getting folks like sales, marketing, engineering, uh, and so forth to want to be a part of that dialogue to figure out, okay, what is our problem space and how do we best solve it? So it's really just a way of thinking about um, uh, craft in a somewhat novel way, um, what I call the facilitative anchor. Um, how do you create something um, that can really usher a positive and powerful conversation um, that can help you make decisions um, and uh, resolve conflicts that will ultimately lead to a happier customer um, and end user. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Uday, how can listeners get in touch with you outside of the show? Um, yeah, the best way is really to reach me on Twitter. Um, my handle is Udanium. That's U-D-A-N-I-U-M. Um, and of course, hit me up on LinkedIn uh, if you have any thoughts or questions as well. So that's it for episode 127 of The Digital Life. I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.